Amen. Love for everyone to take their Bibles out, turn to Isaiah chapter 55, and if you did not bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seat, uh, underneath the seats in front of you. Isaiah chapter 55, we are going to start in verse 6 in just a minute. So Isaiah 55, verse 6, we literally are right in the middle of this chapter, and last week, if you were here, we were proclaiming through the words of Isaiah given in inspiration by the Holy Spirit, uh, really Isaiah is giving us the greatest invitation in history, uh, the urging of every one of us to come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, as it says in verse 1. And you who have no money to come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight your soul in richness. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that your soul may live and I will cut an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithfulness, the faithful loving kindness of David. It's an incredible invitation from God. It's an invitation, once again, to, to sit with Him. To sit with Him at the eternal spiritual banqueting table. To drink water that our souls may live and to drink milk that our souls may be nourished, to drink spiritual wine that we may be filled with joy, the fullness of life. And God reasons with us from this text, pleading, once again, to receive His invitation. He's calling poor people who have no money, and He's calling to rich people who are wasting their effort and their money on things that don't satisfy. He pleads with us to listen to Him, to eat and to drink what is good from Him, be delighted in the richness of the fair that comes from him, the best of all there is in the universe. He pleads with us to listen that our souls may live this eternal banquet that is supplied by Christ. And it goes further, we're invited under the covenant that God has made with Christ, the son of David, Verse 3 and 4, then, of the text, incline your ear. Once again, come to me, listen that you, your soul may live, and I will cut an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful love and kindness of David. Behold, I have given him as a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander for the peoples. This, this is the new covenant found in the blood of Christ, the Savior of the world. And he spreads this banqueting table in heaven, and he's inviting people there now. When I was in fourth grade, so we're rewinding quite a bit. It was the first time I had ever gone uh, away anywhere without my parents around. And the first place I ever went without my parents around that summer was camp. And it was Christian camp, this little camp up in Prescott, Arizona, and one of the first songs that I learned up at that camp was this song. Maybe some of you have heard it, maybe some have not. And I am not going to cause you pain by singing it. 
but it was, I'm feasting at his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. Any of you guys remember that little camp song? Yeah, if, if, if you remember it, you're, you're, his banner over me is love. Anyway, <laughs> and every time I, I hear these verses, I do tear up. Because I'm looking forward to it. It's awesome. He's inviting us now. Every nation, every tribe, every people to come and sit with him at the banqueting table. Now the question then comes up in our minds as we listen to this invitation. How do I respond? How do I respond to the RSVP, what do I have to say? How do I say yes? How do we tell the Lord of the banquet that, hey, I'm all in. I want to be there. Let's start in verse 6. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to Yahweh. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How do I tell the Lord I, I want to be at this banquet? Well, you seek him. You seek him while he may be found. The banquet of God's grace, as we know and we teach here, is free and is abundant. But there are conditions, Right? The reason we're thirsty, you see in verse 7, we're thirsty because we have wickedness in us. There's something that has to be adjusted. Our opportunity is actually limited. The door is wide open now, but it will close. What do we need to get busy doing? Oddly enough, I was reminded of that this morning coming in on the 118. Um, Seek the Lord while he can be found. And some of you who may have driven in that direction from that way saw a horrific accident. Uh, The top of the car was gone, went underneath a semi, and there were blankets all around. It was awful. Now, I had got there probably right after the fire truck started doing some stuff, and it, it was not a good thing. And you just don't know how long you have. You just don't. You could have 105 years or five years. We, we all know that. And so when this invitation 
this invitation says, Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Folks, we need to get busy. We, we need to stop wandering around. We need to become intentional. We need to become intentional about him. Setting our highest value on Him. Removing everything that keeps us from Him. Hearing His word without the back talk of, but, 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 I'm not comfortable with that. Listening to His will without preconditions. And people are really good at that. Maybe you're good at that. God, I'll listen except for these four areas. Those are mine. I mean, there's big ones out there, budgeting our money. What about budgeting the money that he has given us for his cause first? I remember way, 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 and, I, and the reason I'm talking money real quick here is because all of us have to deal with it. I remember way back, a long time ago, first time I ever went through Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey stuff. Any, any of you have ever done that before? Uh, if you haven't, it's, it's a good thing to think about because one of the first things they teach you is move the tithe part from the bottom to the top. Because if it's at the bottom, you'll never get there. And then you go, but the precondition is, is I don't have enough money for everything else. Why don't you trust in the Lord that have the grace, mercy, compassion to give him the sacrificial gift first and then and then move on from there. That's just one example. I mean, we can go through four million examples. The, the circle of these examples is endless. There was a sermon that was given in the late 1800s, and I love the words, avoid a sugared gospel as you would shun sugar of lead. Seek that gospel which rips up and tears and cuts and wounds and hacks and even kills, for that is the gospel that makes you alive again. And when you have found it, give good heed to it. Let it enter into your innermost being as the rain soaks into the ground. So pray the Lord to let his gospel soak into your soul. If you want, later this week, tomorrow, today even, you can text, email me, whatever, and say, hey, where, where's that from? And I'll give you the whole sermon by Spurgeon on that. Because what he's saying, what the scripture is saying, is that seeking the Lord while he can be found, seeking him while he is near is a whole life rearrangement. We're talking about banquets and food, right? What do you do? Well, I'll say what I do, and you can concur with it or not. You go to a restaurant, really nice restaurant, great spread comes out. The You could tell that the cooks and the and the lion guys and everything have spent a lot of time with presentation, right? Just everything is supposed to be perfect. And one of those things is the garnishments on the sides and stuff like that, right? 
I'm a guy, I don't care. <laughs> I, I flip that off, and let's get to the real thing. And there's an essence, really, there, too many times we in our lives come to the banqueting table and we treat God like he's the garnish. And we just kind of take his word, take what he has said for us to be in our lives and kind of just, you know, just put it over there because I want to do this. He becomes our feast. He is our feast. He is the definite center of the feast. I was listening to a song on the way in here today that speaks of that. He is the center of it all. Sometime you got to go in the car with me and just kind of see how I sing really loud and uh, sing these songs because they mean a lot to me. And, I, you know, it's one of the ways that I connect with Scripture and the Lord. And um, He's the center of it all. He is near to us. He is not far off. He is not aloof. He is not unavailable. He invites us to call upon Him to come near. And if you believe you're near, come, come nearer. One author said it this way, calling on the name of the Lord is to be a lifelong pursuit. God commands us to call on Him in times of trouble. The one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, says Psalm 91. And has God's promise of blessing in them because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Seek the Lord is what Isaiah is saying here. Seek the Lord while he can be found. Give everything to him. He goes on in verse 7 and says, Let the wicked forsake his way. This is, this is how we do it as well. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to Yahweh, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, our part is to reject where we're at in sin. Our part is to do what? And let him return to Yahweh. What is the New Testament word for that that we throw around sometimes? Repent. To turn. Reject the old self. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. In, in our world today, we are so tolerant because we're told to be tolerant. And unfortunately, we listen to this. We're tolerant of sin. And even as Christians, what happens is then we maintain this superficial, technical righteousness. But you know, and I tell people this all the time. You journey through the book of Acts. You tell me that everyone that was a believer in the book of Acts was just kind of sort of in it. 
And that's, we know that's completely not true. They had this radical edge of real Christianity going on in their lives. Because when they said yes to Jesus, it meant reordering everything in their lives. And it meant the culture was probably going to smack them on the way. And I believe in the last generation or two here in the United States, specifically in churches, that many, many churches have forgotten that Christianity is contrary to our ingrained likes and dislikes. It's contrary to what the world says is okay. It requires nothing less than a transformation. That's why Jesus says, take off the old clothes and put on the new. It's a transformation. It's a transformation that is, everyone, a radical religious, as some people may want to put it, conversion. Oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks. Yes, I am. And I am because he loved me. He loves me. He died for me. He rose for me. He's given me life. He called me. I responded and I have come near to him. I've accepted him. And he wants so much for you to do the same. Too many times Christians these days want to just tweak our ways. Tweak our thoughts. Many people want to make a decision for Christ and leave it at the decision for Christ. Because there's just this, you know, I, I kind of like some of the lifestyle over here. And then what happens is, even today I was, I was reading, uh, not today, yesterday I was reading an article and, you know, this guy was like, hey, you know what, truthfully, everyone, he's talking to people that are Christians. He's like, you know what? The wor world really just wants you to, right now, they'll say it this way, just practice your Christianity in your church. Just, just, just go in there and be weird. But don't, don't be like that in the culture. We want you to be, quote-unquote, nice and harmless. We don't want you to talk about repentance or submitting to Christ or forsaking yourself or pursuing Christ. Just go into your church and sing a bunch about loving Jesus and feel good about it and feel sentimental about it, but don't worry about it changing your life, and please don't try to tell us that we need to have the same. Anyone disagree with that? There's a lot of that going on. One of the questions that a person that was writing about this section of Scripture asked that, you know, it's one of those things I've thought about, but it hit me hard again this week, is 
could the average church today fit into the book of Acts as really following how they followed? <laughs> it's, it's tough to not get cynical, right? It's tough when, um, you know, I didn't have anyone say this today, so I'm not thinking of anyone in specific words, but it rained. And our first thought as pastors in Southern California is how many people are not going to show up because it rained. And, you know, you can come down the thing, you know, hey, it's, it's a trip hazard. It's, you know, I, I get all of that stuff. But is worshiping with God's people worth it? to possibly trip and die. I mean, I know that sounds totally stupid, but I, I think that's some of the, the questions that we need to remember here because is the eternal banquet worth it? Is it, is it worth it? Because it's when you drift from the gospel, I'm just going to tell you, you don't have forever to get back. If you want to feast at the eternal banquet, God is showing us the way. Our only path forward is obvious, according to his word. Our only path forward is radical. God is calling us to a complete overhaul. You know, so you take the old classic Jeep into the shop and the, you go, can you fix it? And they go, yeah, but the whole engine needs to be redone. And you go, oh, you, you, your heart sinks because you know that costs a lot. You know there's a lot of time and effort in that. You know that, that that's going to cause sacrifice financially. It's going to cause this, that, the other thing. But you go, but I... I need to go to point B and I need to get that fixed. And so you do it, right? You're right, here's the keys. Let's get this thing done. Jesus, here's my life. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. God is calling us to reform our lives, reform our churches. Someone asked the other day, are we a reformed church? My answer is yes. We all should be reformed, remolded into His image, right? That's what I mean by it. I can care less about all the other junk. Because no longer not many of us, not all of us have gotten real far along the path. Some of you have, but some of us fall and trip and bumble our way quite a bit. Well, humbly accept his call, courageously follow him, and return 
to him, as it says. If we submit to the power of repentance, God will not meet our trust with some sort of scolding. He shows us compassion and a generous pardon. And that's what we see here as we, we go into verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And there's these connections that run in this text. One of them has to do with God's holiness, as you see on the screen behind me, and the other has to do with God's mercy. We need to hear both. And the connection is that word for that begins this whole section. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And that's really speaking of who God is and his holiness. We should repent for, why? Why should we repent? Because God's ways are different than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. Stop trying to figure out God. He has given us what we need, right? In His Word. His thoughts are just different. You know one of the things that makes me cringe every once in a while, and I used to say this, and so I, I a long time ago, but... If, if you catch yourself saying this, you should immediately go, I shouldn't say this. If I were God, I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you've said that. If, if I were God, what is Isaiah telling us? Uh, you're not. He's just different. His thoughts, they're just higher. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him to declare to you. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. God's ways are just different than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. We need to repent because of that. Because we are created in his image and we were created to be like him, and we're not like him because of the darkness that's in our hearts. We need to repent. And, and the measure, the gap of that is infinite. That's what he's saying. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. We've got some pretty cool technology that we use to see things in space. And the telescopes that are up there, the high, the high, high-powered telescopes tell us and have taught us that space is way bigger than we thought. Really big. And I really believe God made this infinite universe, cosmos, to humble us. Why else would he say, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts? You start thinking about how big heaven is, you go, wow, that's a big gap that Isaiah is explaining. That is a big, big gap. It's staggering. It's amazing. His thoughts are greater than my thoughts. Okay, so I decided to go, okay, 
I wanted to kind of look up some people that I thought, these guys are brainiacs. There's one guy that I read of this week who has memorized the number pi to 1,000 decimals. So he's remembered, he's remembered, he's memorized all of those numbers going out that way. First of all, that's dumb. (laughs) But secondly, I don't even understand that, which makes it dumb again. But that's, what do you need that for anyway? There was a guy who was a grandmaster in in chess, and Polish guy, uh, lived in Argentina in 1947 uh, in Brazil. He played 45 chess matches simultaneously with people that were all champions. They sat in a big rectangle, and he walked from board to board. Board one, two, three, four, five. You get the idea through 45 of those. Played all of them sequentially and at the same time blindfolded against the people that he played. The matches going on and in his head, some of them went to 50 to 60 moves. He won 40 of the 45 games. That is pretty incredible mentally. Do you realize how much smarter, way smarter, God is than that? He made that guy's brain. I don't know why, but he made that guy's brain. We sit there and we go, man, how can someone blindfolded maneuver all of those things and win all of that, and we forget that God is orchestrating the lives of seven billion people as we speak. Every day of their lives to achieve His purposes and His glory. My thoughts are just a wee bit higher than your thoughts. My ways are just a way little different than yours. We need to repent because God is holy. And the connection there, my ways, my thoughts, ways and thoughts brings us back to verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Uh, Let him turn, return to the Lord. He will have compassion in this Another word that you'll see in some of your versions that you may have is mercy. And God will abundantly pardon. See, his ways are not our ways. The immediate connection is really one of grace and mercy. God's saying, not only you need to understand this, you need to understand I forgive better than you do. I forgive more totally than you do. I forgive comprehensively. I forgive completely. Yes, you hold grudges still. You can still be bitter. You still remember years later things that were said, slights that were made, insults. And yes, you have forgiven them, but you haven't let go of them. We don't forgive very well, do we? Well, God's not like us. He takes our sins, 
And what does he do? He throws them into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. God is excellent at forgiving. His ways are not our ways. Are you thankful that he is better at forgiving than you are? I picture in mind the father and the prodigal son. Remember, the son had squandered half of the estate and he wants to come back and have a job because he's got nowhere else to go. And there, the father of the prodigal son is filled with compassion. The key here is what the, the process is very simple and it mirrors this exactly. What did the prodigal son do? He turned from his sin and was returning. God doesn't move, does he? God remains the same forever and ever. He is holy. He is just. He's not going to say, okay, this sin is no longer sin anymore, those types of things. But boy, you turn from that sin, he's going to be running after you, running towards you with compassion that we cannot understand. Mercy that is incredible. The father hugs the son, embraces the son. The son can barely get the confession out. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. See how important that confession still is? It's still repeated there. The father says, bring the best robe. Put it on. Put a ring on his finger. This kid is mine. He's back. Let's have a feast. Isn't it going to be kind of cool? And I know it's a parable and we don't know if there's a real person in mind for Jesus here. But wouldn't it be pretty awesome if there's a guy sitting at the table that has a little label that says, was the prodigal son? I think that'd be pretty cool. But the truth is, that's all of us. That's all of us who have returned, who have repented. He delights in forgiving. He abundantly, richly pardons. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Let the unrighteous man, his thoughts, forsake those. Let him return to Yahweh, and he will have compassion on him. I hope and pray that you have in your heart today, some of you may be in here crying out to God, going, I, I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be on the outside. I don't want to be condemned. I want to sit at the banqueting table with Jesus. I want that. Seek the Lord while he can be found. Don't assume you'll ever feel that way again. 
don't assume it. If, if, if your heart is not hard right now, there's a reason it's not hard. Because God's pummeling it and calling to you. Come to Christ. And for those of us who are saved, those who have returned, how many times do we stop seeking and we lose our way? We're not done calling on him while he is near. I get thirsty spiritually in life. Maybe you guys do too. It's real easy to dip your toe into an idolatrous way of living where it's more important to seek after riches or feelings or this is my background of where I came from is more important than worshiping God. I mean, there's so many things that we can hold up as more important than God, right? So every single day, for those of us who are believers and those that need and are going to come to Him, meet with the Lord. Satisfy your soul in Him every day. Read the promises of Scripture, the accounts of Christ's like every day. Find joy in these promises every day. Get yourself in a joyful state in Christ every day. Seek the Lord. Seek Christ while He may be found. And if you find yourself in life and you're restless as a Christian, you, maybe you're moving from one experience to the next, one dashed hope to the next dashed hope, then you know what? That's probably a good sign that you're not delighting in Christ and His kingdom. You're trying to find satisfaction outside of that. Some things I recommend. One, make your quiet time that reading, that coming close to Him, the first thing you do every day. I'm not going to be legalistic about it, but I think it's just a good thing, and Scripture does say much about it, about Him being the top priority of the day and starting the day with that. Seek the Lord while He may be found, because the next five minutes after that, there's a lot of other information that can take you way far away from that quiet time, right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Top priority. First thing. Forsake evil ways and your thoughts on those. It's not about your thoughts on whatever life situations out there. It's, it's about God and His plan and His ways. Don't listen to a world that's going the wrong direction as fast as possible. Listen to God and his ways. 
Don't expect to understand everything God is doing. Please do not expect unbelievers to be okay with what you are doing in following Him. And in all of this, everyone, look forward to the day when you know you have the mind of Christ and you're going to think just like Him. On that day when we will see Him, we're going to go, it all makes sense. It's complete. We fast forward really in my mind to that it is finished. The race has been won. It is over. The prize is there. The banquet table is before us. And eternity is so joyful. Look forward to that day. As one group said, it's a beautiful day in their song. The day when you have pure thoughts and thoughts that are His ways and not my ways. Perfect thoughts. You'll be done with corruption forever. Yearn for that day. And we are called to then, before that day arrives, continue seeking. Continue drawing closer. Continue to learn more and more about His ways. Yeah, we don't understand everything, but He's given us enough to get home. Back to Him. Okay, everyone? Let's close in prayer.